0: Hi, I'm Joel Garcia. Welcome to the Pop Culture Shuffle. On today's show, I have a few things to talk about. First up, my review of the latest episode of Marvel Studios' What If? Then, my early thoughts on Spider Man No Way Home. And finally, some fan fiction involving Garfield the Cat and the movie La La Land. But first, let's talk marble. What if the world lost its mightiest heroes? Now when I first saw the previews for this episode, I was a bit lost since I had no idea what the episode was about. All I knew about it was that it would involve Nick Fury and Black Widow. Once I saw the episode, I quickly understood what it was. Now of course, this part might lead to some confusion because three of the MCU films technically took place at the same time. Now of course, The Incredible Hulk, Iron Man 2, and Thor all came out within a span of three or so years. But technically, those three films took place within the same week. It's a really impressive trick that I'm surprised the MCU hasn't done a lot with. If anything, the only other time I've seen them do this was with Ant-Man the Wasp, which supposedly took place around the same time as Infinity War. In a lot of ways, this episode was basically a murder mystery, in which it centered around why these heroes, as well as Hawkeye and Black Widow, were all being killed off. And in a way, the mystery was interesting. Mostly because it came from an unexpected source. Even if familiarly, it did suffer the same problem as the first episode in which something is set up but barely explained. In particular, Hope Bandine. The episode eventually reveals that the murderer is Yellowjacket, aka Hank Pym, who is surprisingly voiced by Michael Douglas. And I'll just say this about Douglas, he's okay as Yellowjacket, now of course, he technically was Ant-Man in the flashback sequences, but he didn't exactly play Ant-Man. If anything, he was only there for a few lines and that's it. Though so it is interesting seeing how this episode is basically Michael Douglas kills the MCU. I will admit I like the story. If anything, I probably wanted a bit more involving Hope, since all we're told is that in this continuity, rather than joining Pym Industries, Hope went to work for S.H.I.E.L.D. and died which is kind of a bummer and probably one of the show's major criticisms, where, sure, it sets up a lot of interesting concepts, but because of its short runtime doesn't really go anywhere with it. It's just one of those things the show never explains, which is unfortunate. I really did like how the episode recreated certain moments from the films, such as Tony slouching on the donut shop, or Thor getting the hammer, or that sequence from The Incredible Hulk, which I think is the first time Marvel's actually acknowledged that film in over 13 years. I know people are going to bring this up immediately, but yes, Bruce Banner in this sequence looks like neither Mark Ruffalo or Edward Norton. If anything, he kinda looks like an amalgamation of both. The first time I saw the episode I thought, oh they just scanned in Ruffalo's face, but no. They tried to go for a compromise where the top half of his face is clearly Edward Norton, while the bottom half is Mark Ruffalo, which just comes off a bit uncanny. So it's really weird hearing Mark Ruffalo's voice come out of Not Edward Norton. Now the other thing I have to admit of a surprise to see was Loki, voiced by Tom Hiddleston himself. Now I'm not tired of seeing or hearing Loki, but I thought it was a bit surprising just to see him show up again. Especially with Hiddleston reprising the role yet again. Still, it shows that Loki did at some point care for his brother, considering how he brought the entire Asgardian army with him and Sif, to enact Revenge. I know that Loki fans might love this episode, especially considering how it shows Loki as triumphant, whereas the Loki in the TV show has to deal with an existential crisis. Now it was interesting to see how, without the Avengers' involvement, or his brother, Loki could just simply take over the world in less than a week. I really love that Nick had the beeper with him, presumably under the idea that Captain Marvel was a backup, and the ending pretty much says that in this world where the Avengers are dead, his backup plan was Captain America and Captain Marvel. Which I admit would be an interesting pairing for superhero team ups. I can't think of any story in which Captain America and Captain Marvel have teamed up, and just the two of them, like the two captains. This was a really good episode. I will admit though, I am not a fan of these shorter episode runtimes. This episode wasn't merely a bit longer, but these episode would probably work a bit better if they were like an hour long. Right now, that's my only gripe with the show so far, that it's really short. And I do agree that it needs to be a bit longer. But who knows how the next few episodes will be. The only other thing I'll say about the episode was, at least it brought back Colson, considering, of course, he's dead. The only other time I've seen him in these films or productions has been Captain Marble. And before anyone says Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I don't care, that show sucked. Marble Studios, What If, streams exclusively on Disney. Plus. So recently, the trailer for Spider Man No Way Home came out after being leaked. I'll just begin by saying that I did see the leaked version which was almost exactly like the one that eventually came out, aside from the incomplete CGI. All I will say about the trailer is that it does show a lot of potential, especially with the idea that it could feature Matt Murdock from the Netflix Daredevil series, Alfred Molina as Doc Ock, but also the possibility that we could see a couple of spider maybe. So with that out of the way, here are some quick-hit reviews of the first five Spider-Man films. Spider-Man It's a great, timeless film that best summarizes Spider-Man in the modern day, essentially the 2000s. Sam Raimi and Forgi did do a lot of changes that may or may not age the film badly, such as inexplicably kicking Peter out of high school and going straight to college. However, there are a lot of good moments, even if the dialogue isn't merely corny. And Defoe is a great Green Goblin, even if he is wearing, what as many have said including Weird Yankovic, a quote, dumb Power Rangers mask, unquote. But Tobey Maguire is great as Peter Parker and it's a great dramatic film that best represents Spider-Man, in that era. Spider-Man 2 a great follow up to the first film she deals with Peter being an adult and him trying to fall in love with Mary Jane even though she's basically moved on with her life. Doc Ock is a surprisingly great villain and despite the fact that you could probably ham it up with the idea of him having four tentacles, Alfred Molina does his best to give him a serious dramatic portrayal and it works. The climax is especially great and one of the better dramatic moments in any superhero film. Although, admittedly, Tom McGuire's screaming was a bit horrendous. Spider-Man 3. It sucks! (laughs) Look, uh, I know people defend this film, but the problem is that it's just honestly terrible. Seeing Peter and Mary struggle to another relationship issue is bad. The idea of Harry turning into the new goblin was stupid. Sandman was surprisingly good and he had a great backstory, but he gets bogged down in a film that just obsessed too much with Spider-Man gaining the Venom powers. And then all of a sudden we have Venom here, played by Eric Foreman from that 70's show, who is not a good actor when it comes to playing a dramatic serious role. It's really hard when I'm trying to take him seriously, all I can think of is Red Foreman wanting to kick his foot up his ass. And if you like this film, more power to you, but for me, I hated it and it was a terrible way to wrap up the Sam Raimi Trilogy. The Amazing Spider-Man While the first film was a great timeless masterpiece that does fit Spider-Man in the early 2000s, the same can be said about The Amazing Spider-Man in the early 2010s. It's a great series portrayal which actually goes back a bit more into Spider-Man's origins. Instead of giving him the dumb organic webbing, they actually allowed Peter to build his own devices that can give him the webbing powers, actually have him in high school, unlike the first film which only happened there for 15 minutes, and Andrew Garfield was a good Peter. He wasn't as whiny as Toby, he felt more confident about himself, and the Lizard was a great villain. The Amazing Spider-Man 2 <laughs> Whereas the first film did a great job setting up Peter and giving him a brand new personality, this film tried too hard to set up its own cinematic universe. And while you could hypothetically make a series of films with Spider-Man and these characters, the way they did it was just horrendous. Abruptly introducing characters and then killing them off. Making Harry Osborn some whiny emo teen who apparently needs Spider-Man blood because reasons. And then there's the setup for the Sinister Six, which wasn't really necessary because we're barely introduced to one villain and then you kill them off. And then we have the abrupt debut of the Green Goblin at the very last minute of the film, who just looks like Beavis and ButtHead fused together. Electro as a villain was interesting, but at the same time he just felt like some angry fanboy, and the idea of making him blue instead of wearing the costume from the comics just felt an attempt to make him edgy without looking stupid. And as for the death of Gwen Stacy? That was surprisingly one of the few good moments in this film. The only other thing I'll say about the film was that Rhino was wasted, and that deleted scene in which Peter's father would have shown up alive this whole time would have been this franchise's point of no return. This was a terrible sequel to what was a really good film, and its failure justifies why Sony had to team up with Marvel. Because there was no way in hell an Amazing Spider-Man 3 would have ever happened after the way that film ended. Spider- man No Way Home comes to theaters on December 17. Finally tonight, our next segment might sound a bit familiar. This was originally uploaded on May 22nd, during one of the few weeks in which I did not post a show. A while back on our show, or if you heard the Best and Worst of Fan Fiction episode, I talked about a certain author known as Shakespeare Hemingway. And after going back and looking at some of his stories again in preparation for the Best and Worst of Fan Fiction, I decided to take a look at one of his other stories. And I found one that was really weird. The story being, Garfield Land. Now despite the name, no, it's not about Garfield the Cat going to Disneyland, but instead it's a crossover between Garfield the Cat, or at least the author's bizarre incarnation, and the movie La La Land. Now if you're wondering what the movie La La Land is about, I don't know. I've never seen La La Land. I have no interest in seeing La La Land. I've never met anyone who wants to talk about La La Land. All I know about it is the controversy at the Oscars, and that's pretty much it. So I'm going into this story not knowing a single thing about La La Land, and some might think, well that's bad research. I would argue in return that I just don't care and have no time to watch but I do know the basic plot beats. And honestly the writer apparently didn't care either about the story because all he does is make the characters act crazy. Here is a snippet of the story. After Garfield finished his solo of jazz supremacy, the club manager went back to Mike for congratulations. I think no more contestants are needed. It is clear who is winner. Garfield, you are a true icon of jazz for all ages. Please accept the honor or the jazz man in this hundred gallons of lasagna. The club manager congratulated with odd humbleness. Garfield took his wagon of lasagna in manly silence and returned to his seat. Sebastian was throbbing with fiery fury. I
1: am the savior of true jazz, not this cat. He will pay my paper.
0: Sebastian thought with stupid ignorance.
1: He was very good.
0: Said Mia with approval of Garfield's manly jazz.
1: Son a stupid girl, you would not know jazz if it spat on your face.
0: Sebastian spat with spiteful bile. Sebastian marched over to Garfield's table like a lumbering puny weakling and slammed his feeble hand on Garfield's table.
1: Garfield, you are a damn fool and imposter! You were all commercial! You played jazz for Lasagna, not love! Jazz is great, Lasagna! Lasagna is a food of
0: boneless weaklings! Sebastian screeched like owl, begging for death! Garfield stood up with velocity of jetliner. You spew ramblings like neutered hyena, impotent and full of nonsense, Garfield said with truthful righteousness.
1: You are nonsense, lasagna is nothing to jazz,
0: Sebastian protested with sobs. Spineless puppy, jazz is nothing to lasagna, when the world is shattered and earth is dust. Jazz will die like all things, but lasagna will live, and so will I. But not you, Garfield said with depths of thousand oceans. And so did you. Tweel, Sebastian, slapped Garfield with infant hand. His puny palm deflected off Garfield's muscle might, and his hand shattered into thousand bone fragments and hung limp. Looks like I need to be slapping sins into you," said Garfield as he grabbed Sebastian, my pathetic collar, and slapped his stupid face with palm of stainless stone. He slapped him 24 times, but held back his power. After slapping, Garfield's aunt Sebastian was near death. He went to bar and poured cold water on his face and used the liberator to waken him so he could slap him some more. He then slapped Sebastian twenty-four more times to instill lessons of wisdom into the fool's leaden skull. Now do you know what is best? asked Garfield with tutorship as he gripped a weak pencil neck.
1: I know. Jazz is best, and i be the greatest jasmine of all millennia.
0: Sebastian said with stubbornness, He then spat blood and tooth at Garfield's feet in fool's defiance. Your words are worm. In your head is the king of worms, go burrow in mud with your fellows, Garfield said with ironclad justice as he tossed Sebastian out of window. Entire club got up on feet and applauded Garfield. They cheered and whistled at his manly righteousness. School bus stopped outside in front of Sebastian and school children got out the point and laugh at him. <laughs> Sebastian got up and limped home. Tears of salty sorrow, running from bruised cheek. Now that was honestly just one of the many bizarre moments in this fanfic. Now while I've never seen La La Land, I don't think Sebastian was portrayed accurately in this story. Because the story portrays him as a psychopath who is obsessed with jazz and wanted to be the best jazz musician of all time. This story was weird in Royal Rescue because, whereas in those stories you could simply see it as a parody of the royal family fighting Garfield the Cad, this felt more like the writer apparently really hated the movie La La Land or just didn't understand it. It reminded me a lot of that Saturday Night Live sketch where people were being interrogated over why they didn't see La La Land. And I will admit that sketch was funny, and this story on your hand is just nuts. Because in most of his stories, it honestly does seem like he's trying to do an over-the-top parody of Garfield while at the same time bashing anything and everything he hates. Like I mentioned before, there's a Joker story, which is not about Joker at all, but instead of bashing Jimmy Kimmel and Joaquin Phoenix for some reason. All I will say is that Land is yet another bizarre story from Shakespeare Hemingway. Garfield Land by Shakespeare Hemingway is available to read on fanfiction.net. Next week the pop culture shuffle will be a little bit different. We'll still have a regular show in which I talk about the latest episode of Marvel Studios What If, but we're also going to do something a little bit different over on Spotify. For those of you on Spotify, we'll have a slightly different version of the podcast, whereas those on Anchor and other streaming services will get the usual episode. This will be a bit of an experiment for me, so the regular episode will still come out next week, but we'll also have a very special enhanced edition for Spotify. But for now, that is all the time we have for today's show. If you would like to know when the next episode comes out, remember to follow or subscribe to the podcast on your favorite stream provider. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at mister JoelGarcia9. Until next time, thank you for listening.